Ice cream. I love ice cream. I just so bad for you. Might as well just rub that shit into your belly and okay. tack it on. Can do. And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular Yep. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. <laughs> Howdy, Kansas Cities. It's hey, Kansas Cities. <laughs> you sounded really weird right there. I did? No. <laughs> just just messing with you. You sound great. You sound great. You look great. But that hair to. and beard and and all kinds of craziness. I don't even know what to what to think. I can't even look at you right now. You're like a combination of Fergie and Jesus. Oh man, my uh, my beard. I wish I wish I could just let it grow. It's I'm getting to a weird point when I'm like, I want to get rid of it. And I posted a thing on Instagram the other day on my story. I was like, should I shave it or not? And I put a poll. So I was expecting to have some answers by the end of it. But nope, it was split right down the middle. 50 percent. So I was like, damn it. So I think I'm going to have to leave it for right now. Do it. If you want to look like a homeless person, then you do you. Wow. Jeez. (laughs) Tough crowd. (laughs) Tough crowd. I used to bleach my hair. I was like, yeah, just platinum blonde. It was awesome. Uh, but it hurt. I remember it hurt my scalp. So yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't do anymore. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's like the one old fashioned thing about me is just I like a sense of I, I feel like the haircut that you're born with is a good color. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> well, as the know. great philosopher Lady Gaga said, baby, you were born this way. But not really. You paid money for product to put on your hair to look different. I don't put no product in my hair. None. Actually, Zero. I love doing that. But yeah, I'll get my hair cut when, when the time comes. It's uh, We're at phase 1.5 up here in Washington. So I don't know if that means barbershops are going to open soon. But we'll see what happens. I'll cut your hair. I'm good. Nah, bro. It's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> I know how to cut hair, though. I know. Took a class. I know. It's all good. I even know the curvature of your head and the lumps and the bumps and the scars. Wow. I studied you when you were sleeping. (laughs) Jeez, man, that's creepy. Yeah, I'm a creeper. (laughs) You didn't wake up, though, so that's good. I'm a good sleeper. (laughs) I'm a heavy sleeper. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, um, what are you what are you watching right now? Oh man, so many things. I'm on that HBO Max train still. Uh, I watched My Neighbor Totoro, and I've never seen that. I was very happy. Oh, I love this. I love the music. It's so good. It's so happy. And then I watched The Outsiders, so I could do it for Johnny. Um, Have you seen that before? Yeah, I read the book too in like elementary school. But yeah, um, so do we. Yeah, I just it made me hungry for bologna sandwiches, and I hate bologna sandwiches. Gross. <laughs> I know. I hate I hate bologna sandwiches, but uh, well, and they're then in I, church, and that's all they're eating is the bologna exactly. Sandwiches. Yeah, and then Green I watched Gallic Inside Blue. Man, Inside Man with uh, Denzel. Love that movie. I like the song at the beginning with like the crazy. I sing that randomly. Uh, just throughout the day at, at random points for the past maybe 10 years. I'll just go, Jella, jenya, jenya. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. Like, they could be like, fucking asshole, asshole, asshole. But Oh, uh, man. First time I ever got a flat tire was leaving that movie th- inside, man. Really? Yeah, Bang. someone slashed my tire in the, in the movie theater parking lot. And I drove away, and then I heard a noise. I'm like, the fuck? It was someone me. slashed my tire. No. <laughs> Uh, I watch Network. Have you ever seen Network? Sure. Mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Hey, first time I've ever seen it. And I just know enough about it, but I really wanted to watch it. And um, I liked it. I thought that, that it was a prophesizing movie 
but uh, it's pretty long too. So yeah. And then for for shits last night, um, I put on Twister on Netflix, and I love Twister. <laughs> I forgot Gotta how good go, that movie Joe. is. Oh man, you're the extreme. I know. I want to start calling you the extreme now, <laughs> dude. I drank a Mountain Dew once, and you threw it into the Twister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw it back hard. He's in it for the money, not the science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that guy's name? Jonas. Jonas, that's right. Carrie yeah. Eels. <laughs> Carrie Eels. 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 Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, it's really it's it's really good. It still holds up. I really love that the the antagonist is a tornado, <laughs> and it's not even really Jonas. So um, it's just really interesting. And I'm not a I'm not a meteorologist or a tornadoologist or whatever. So I don't know how accurate it is to to uh, real life. But I really did enjoy every aspect of it. And there we go. Sure, that was um that was that came out at a time when surround sound was was like kind of a really new th- and cool thing with digital sound. And seeing that in a theater, it was like you're in a tornado. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> they put fans on in the theater too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's this cow swinging from a rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, and then, yeah, I just uh, I watched like last week tonight, John Oliver. It was a very, very good episode just about... Um, the police, uh, that one? Police, yeah, police reform yeah. and uh, defunding and everything. And uh, yeah, very, very good episode. I highly recommend. So what about you? What have you been watching? I, I love how people are so naive to think that defunding the police means to just not have them anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, um, I'll hold my comments a little bit on that because we can go for sure. a while about that. But yes, Long time. I, yeah. I, I completely agree to you. I, I purposely avoid posting stuff on, on Facebook just because some people are ignorant about it. And I know that if I counter something, then yeah, it's just going to turn into an argument. So I was actually posting that video and I'm like, hey, here's a recap of it. Just watch this. This is what it means. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's a way for laymen to to understand said term. I like it. Anyways, what have you been watching? I don't know. I watched, you know what I watched yesterday was uh, Constantine with uh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Chaz Kramer, asshole. Yeah. You know what's funny is I thought for sure we did an episode on that on that movie, but I guess we didn't. I had to check the archives. Yeah, we talked like, about it. Talked about doing one or? Talked about doing one, yeah. But we did not. Okay. No. I, like I that really movie. enjoy that movie. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's um, it's really it, it's really interesting. I like uh, Peter Stormare. He's like yeah. Russian space station. I'm the <laughs> devil. <laughs> yeah, uh, American components, Russian components, all made in Taiwan. <laughs> Move, please. I do it. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty great, dude. He's uh, he's very good. Yeah, I like him a Fargo lot. Fargo is like my favorite, and I like in um in John Wick two when he's just hearing the tire screeching sounds and you just see the fear on his face like man am i really gonna die today this this fucking sucks yeah he's he's quite the underrated actor i like him a lot and he's been in some of my favorite things so yeah no he's great uh so i watched that i watched constantine and then i watched dick tracy and um when do we eat when do we? Yeah. And that movie just screams freaking like 89 Batman. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, exactly. a year later, you know, but like the set pieces, the music, the just the the ambiance and accoutrement. It's uh, it just screams Batman. And it, what's really interesting, too, is that is that Dick Tracy, he's the hero of this movie. And all he's doing is at the very beginning is he's just beating the shit out of thugs. And he is arresting people without cause. He's he's putting them under the lights. He's basically torturing them. And he's perceived as a hero. And these villains are like, hey, man, you can't just go around arresting everybody. We got rights. <laughs> and I'm just like, holy shit. Where have I seen this before? <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Jesus I know. Christ. I like That's Mumbles. Dustin yeah, Hoffman. Anytime um, we have... <laughs> like sort of like any kind of meltdown on, on geek legacy where no one knows what the other person's saying. David will go, Mike, why did it? (laughs) (laughs) It's just pretty funny. It just, it just happens. So funny. 
Big boy did it. I think I think that's all I've watched. I've been playing a lot of video games, bro, and so I can't I. stop. Yeah, so I haven't been doing a whole lot of the movie watching. I'm almost done with Righteous Gemstones. Super funny show. Danny McBride, John Goodman, um, and Adam Levine. I think I talked about it last week. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but I uh, haven't quite finished it. It's on. It's on the docket. Three episodes left. I got another really first place Warzone victory the other day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You're a pro. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> well, cool. Um, are you ready to talk about this week's movie? Yep. All right. This week we are going to do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross it's from 1992, directed by James Foley. Guy I brought you Fear, House of Cards, and Hannibal. Uh, it was written by David Mamet, who has a pretty impressive uh, resume. Yeah, he's written a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I mentioned off before we started the show, uh, Winslow Boy, um, Spanish Prisoner. Um, he definitely has a way about him with his with his dialogue. Uh, you can usually spot it pretty well. Same with like Sorkin. Like you're like, why are these people so smart? Oh, it must be a Sorkin movie. <laughs> Just funny how that works. <laughs> Mamet's kind of uh, he's got that same style. You know, his his pros are pretty easy to spot, um, which which is a good thing, I think. Um, but uh, this is predominantly an all male cast, short of a single female that is in the uh, at a restaurant. She's like the the coat check lady. But uh, the film star or the film stars Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Kevin Spacey, Ed Harris, Alan Arkin, Alec Baldwin, and Jonathan uh, Price. Uh, pretty pretty stacked cast, as you would say. Actually, like all these guys, Al Pacino's a little crazy. This is this is the era where he's just like over the top. There's there's two there's two types of Al Pacino. There's the the cool, calm, and collected Godfather, and then there's the crazy town banana pants Al Pacino. And he is definitely crazy town banana pants Al Pacino in this movie. She's got a great ass, <laughs> and you got your head all the way up it yeah <laughs> totally did we do heat is that one that we've done a movie on Have no I, I i really wanted to do that for quite a while but yeah heat's uh heat's a good one that was a good one i had coffee with him half an hour ago he's <laughs> <laughs> just always yelling i don't, I don't get it calm down dude take your pills pills are good pills are good <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what his deal is. Jack Lemmon, you know, a Hollywood legend. Guy's been around forever. Uh, Kevin Spacey. He's a guy that uh, these days we don't give uh, too much time for. Uh, he is, he is how you say, a bad man. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into details, but uh, I have this thing. Like when, when someone has wronged either me or the world, I just choose not to talk about it anymore. I don't even want to give them the time of day. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's just what I do. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a bummer because he's been in a lot of really good movies and and he, you know, he was a good actor, but yes, I agree with you. I think that his the, the things that came to light uh erase all of that. So. Yes. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. And they're bad. Yes. <laughs> they're all bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, Ed Harris, and in this movie, he's actually he plays kind of a, a weakling. You know, this is this is a, a weird take for him because he tends to be a moral compass in a lot of movies. Uh, he tends to be the hero, someone that you look up to in a lot of films. And in this particular case, he is kind of a loser, and uh, it's an interesting take. Uh, I mean, and I'm using the word loser as defined by success in this movie. Uh, not not my words, <laughs> but uh, just to be clear on that, uh, this is a movie where it's all about money and success. And, you know, a man is his job and that is how you are defined. And that's that is a very narrow universe and a very, very narrow lens to be looking down. And uh, that's downright terrifying. Alec Baldwin, he's in the movie for like eight minutes and it is an, an insane moment it's so cool i love his character um the, it's something that is that has resonated with me for a very very long time i've probably uh, seen this movie about 30 times maybe more i don't know it's hard to say it's it's definitely one that i've seen more than most and it's just become part of a a regular in my ever rotating uh, catalog of motion picture shows um 
opening weekend it did uh two what is that two million dollars and it grossed only 10 million in the u.s worldwide same thing i don't think we have worldwide numbers but critical reception it's all over uh it's overwhelmingly positive most of the people love this movie um let's see here get some reviews going uh tim brayton from antagony and ecstasy what a great name that is as an expression of a great script, it really can't be beat. How about that? Dennis Schwartz uh, from, what is that? Owes this world movie reviews. As it says, as you would expect from a mammoth play, the dialogue sizzles. He says a mammoth play. We were just talking about that a couple of podcasts ago where I said it kind of, it feels like a play when you're watching this. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely has that beat. David Nasser from Real Film Reviews, the most effective big screen translation of a mammoth stage play. Look at that. Stage play. More talking. like kid and play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's a good haircut. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> uh, let's see here. James Berendinelli from Real, Real Views says, for anyone who loves sharp dialogue, compelling characters, and a stinging social rebuke, Glengarry Glen Ross is not to be missed. Yeah. I agree. That's a good one. It only had three negative reviews, one of which isn't available. And then Kathleen Mayer from Austin Chronicle, she says, Glengarry Glen Ross is interesting to watch uh, like well-performed gymnastics, but it never really connects. Wow. Um, so there, there you have it. Cool. Uh, what do you got for me, man? Um, so during filming, members of the cast who weren't required to be on, on the set certain days would show up anyway to watch the other actors' performances. And like you were saying, we broke down the, the cast, uh, stack top to bottom. You have, I think four Oscar winners and four Oscar nominees in it. Um, and we, they have, you know, a myriad of fantastic roles between all of them. So, and they are, they've all been in some of our favorite movies. So I, I, I would believe that to be correct. Uh, Co-star Jack Lemmon said the cast was the greatest acting ensemble he had ever been part of. This is also both director James Foley's and Alec Baldwin's favorite film of their own. I mean, that's not directly from Baldwin. Found it on IMDb, so I don't know. He might like uh, The Getaway better. Or no, he's not in The Getaway. He wasn't that. He's in a movie where he like drives a car. You know what I'm talking about? So he's in The Getaway, which was a remake of the Steve McQueen movie that I was talking about uh, a few podcasts ago. That's, that's <laughs> and it's right. it's with um, Kim Basinger. She's in it as well. Yeah, his uh, ex-wife, right? Yeah. Cool. And then the word fuck and its derivatives are uttered 138 times. Uh, this is really interesting because uh, Mamet's sharp dialogue, like you were saying, it sounds like an, it's like an Aaron Sorkin-esque film. I mean, I, I kept thinking about that the whole time I was watching it. Uh, you have these very intelligent people and I feel intelligent watching it, but then they, they take you out of that by using the word fuck or shit. And I thought it was really interesting watching it. I mean, obviously it was on purpose, but yeah, the, the cast referred to this movie as death of a fucking salesman. So (laughs) anyway, uh, you ready for a synopsis? Uh, yeah. So, uh, real quick, um, in 1984, it was a Pulitzer prize winning play. Uh, just throwing that out there. It's adapted oh, yeah. from the play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and so that's why. So if I hadn't known that going into it, I would have been like, God, this seems like a play because it, it it you know it's a small set piece. Uh, you only have basically two or three locations, and it takes place over the course of maybe twenty four hours, maybe twelve hours, and uh, and yeah, I think it's um it's very indicative of that. But the dialogue is is outstanding. So. Okay, well, so being a salesman requires a certain type of gusto that not everyone can possess. For the four men of Rio Real Estate, is that the company? Rio Real Estate? Rio Rancho. Rio Rancho. Well, Rio Rancho is the properties that they're, that they're okay. selling. Doesn't okay. matter. Four men of the, of the company that sells Rio Rancho. <laughs> <laughs> you so. call yourself a salesman, you son of a bitch? <laughs> yeah. Closing a sale means food on their table, while failure to do so would mean unemployment. After corporate salesman Blake tells them the team tells the team that coffee is for closers, the men are pushed to desperation, either win the sales contest or get fired. 
Blake provides their boss, Williamson, with a list of near-guaranteed sales, the Glengarry Glen Ross leads. Williamson will only provide those leads to closers, so instead he provides the team with older, weaker leads, demanding they sell them. Shelley Levine, the grizzled vet, is desperate to make a sale, trying every angle he has in his repertoire. The bully, Moss, and the feeble Aranow decide to leave the office to cool off. Moss begins telling Aranow that the best course of action would be to steal the GGGR leads and sell them to a rival, making more money on their own. Aranow contests, but Moss backs him into a corner. Meanwhile, the smooth-talking Roma seeks an easy target while drinking at the bar, eventually getting him to buy a large plot of land. As the night rains hard, Levine goes door-to-door with his leads, only to, get to that do- only to get that door shut on his face each time. The next morning, as the men come to the office, they find out that it has been burglarized and the leads had been stolen. As the detective questions each salesman, no one confesses to said burglary. As Levine regales the office about how his all-night determination turned into a massive $82,000 sale, Roma is intercepted by the target at the bar. The man explains that his wife wants him to pull out of the sale, but Roma tries one last effort. After Williamson blows it by ruining Roma's angle, Roma explains that Williamson is not cut out to be in this world. Levine agrees and he, as he tells Williamson that if he can't think on his feet, then he should keep his mouth shut. As this worries Williamson, he realizes that Levine knows more than he has been hiding. Levine confesses that he and Moss stole the Glengarry Glen Ross leads and sold them to a to make a profit. As Levine begs for Williamson not to tell the detective, Williamson tells him to fuck off, sticking to his strong stance stance on self-preservation. Levine must face his consequences head on. Salesmen are born, not made. Boom. Boom. Wait, do you believe that? Do you believe salesmen are born and not made? I don't think so. But I don't think so either. <laughs> that's that's what I that's what I want to dig into you and we'll just jump right into it. Um sure. Justin, you were a former salesman, correct? Car yeah. salesman. Long, you, oh, I did, yeah, I did a lot. <laughs> Sales and, and, like twenty years. <laughs> and you you sold the greatest thing. You sold yourself to me. So I think that's a win. Um, so as a former salesman, do you appreciate this movie more than just basically the average viewer? And what I mean by that is like, do you need to have some sort of sales background to really appreciate this film? I, I don't think so. I think that uh, anybody can enjoy it. I, I do think that if you come from a sales background, you will see yourself as maybe one of these characters, which could make it more of a, an interesting experience. Or maybe you worked with someone that was like one of these people uh, to make it more relatable. But uh, I, I can't say one way or another that, you know, I, I enjoy it more, but I can definitely appreciate what they were going for. Um, there are a plethora of films on on sales and salesmen and stuff. Uh, some are like The Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room, The Goods by Hard Sell Hard, um, Tommy Boy, Wall Street and Jerry Maguire. What are some of your favorite films on sales besides Glengarry Glen Ross? And why is it Jerry Maguire? <laughs> no, I, so Tommy Boy for sure is one of my favorites. I could mm-hmm. probably recite that entire movie. Um, and uh, Used Cars, uh, Kurt Russell, that's a really good oh. salesman movie. Um, Wolf of Wall Street is also uh, an incredible salesman movie. Uh, what's interesting too is that uh, you know his character in Wolf of Wall Street is a real human being. That is a terrible person. <laughs> He's like, awful. You, He's so you awful. Don't, you don't have to be, uh, you know, a genius to identify that uh, that he is that he is terrible. Jordan Belfort. He's he's garbage. And so that unfortunately, there are a lot of salesmen out there that are downright terrible. But at the same time, you have to realize that that culture of sales where like Alec Baldwin says, it's either fuck or walk, <laughs> you know, it's, there's a lot on the line, you know, there's the, the, the stress and pressure that comes with commission sales and cold calling, um, is exhausting. It can give you an ulcer. It can, it could, it can kill you. And so, um, I will admit that sales is not for everyone, but as far as, as far as movies go, I would say used cars, uh, Tommy Boy and Wolf of Wall Street. Boiler Room's pretty good too. I, I dig that movie. But again, that's another one where they're all crooked as a barrel of snakes. They're they're selling like fake stock. It's terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. Did you ever see um, The Big Short? No. So that uh, that was you know based on that true story about the housing market crisis in I think two thousand six, and it 
they do a really good job of explaining subprime loans and that kind of stuff and uh, kind of how they sell them to and it gives you insight it's it's along the same lines of wolf of wall street where these people are just you know cons and and shitty people so uh i like that one a lot but sure so the setting in this film like i was touching on earlier it's really indicative of a play uh you know we have the same set pieces we have i think the restaurant the office building uh the man's house briefly and the donut shop and just the street outside so that's five acts you could change the the settings if you needed to uh just like a play but the what were some of the other things that you noticed in this that that you could be like okay cool i know this is a play like it it got brought over from uh the stage to the screen um so the music for one is a, <laughs> that, like that jazz it, yeah the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and and then a lot of times it's just two people talking, you know. It's, yeah. And and in a play, it's you two people are interacting, and then everyone else that's around them is doing the kind of stuff or or doing their own thing, you know. So the spotlight isn't on them, and and this is very much the case in the movie. There's no, there's not really a scene where multiple people are talking. The only the only real one is when Alec Baldwin is going to each of them, you know, calling them out for their shortcomings, basically. And he is the star. You know, they, it, he could be talking to to, you know, just uh, mannequins and it wouldn't matter because they're they, they don't really say much. They just take it. They take the abuse. And so um, I would say that it's mainly just the how it is a two person, sometimes even a one person play, it feels like. It may be some of the best dialogue I've I've seen in a film, just with how sharp it is, how how well paced it is. Um, you were just saying how no one's really talking over each other. It builds this tension with how fast and how much of a volley they talk with each other. So like the diner scene when Aaronow and Moss are getting donuts, it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth without skipping a beat. Whereas like you and I talk and we have pauses or we say and um, we have conjunctions they are very to the point direct back and forth and then in the it it draws a lot of tension too so towards the climax of the movie when the detective is waiting to interview each of them you know you have all this going on you have roma talking to jim who's trying to cancel the sale meanwhile he's also trying to pretend levine is someone else and then williamson comes out and aaron now is mad at the detective they each focus on each person's line but it causes chaos but it's like controlled chaos so I was I was gripped. I didn't think I would be that riveted to to stuff like that. But uh, this just goes to show how how much good dialogue can really make your movie shine. So I thought that was the big one of the biggest elements. And what's interesting about Alan Arkin's character, George Aronow, is like he constantly talks <laughs> whether yeah. he's in the conversation or not. He's having a conversation with himself a lot of times, you know, just about how how wrong things are. Like he's he is. He is basically trying to justify to himself that if he gets fired, it's is nothing he could do about it. He he is accepting failure throughout the entire course of that movie. He's so feeble. He's just such yeah. a weak man. But yeah, yeah, it's tough and then it, Oh, totally. Um, the the rain played a big part into it. Uh, you know, rain for half of the movie. It really kind of added to it. And same with the lighting. There's a lot of deep blues and a lot of deep reds that were in it. Yeah, there weren't many brightly lit scenes. You know, you had the end of the movie, the second half of the movie was in daylight, but it still wasn't that brightly lit. And I think that kind of goes to the macabre of, of or the the drab, I should say, of of being a salesman, a real estate salesman, the unkempt office and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, you know, there's the literature on the walls. There's the prizes and the phone calls. You know, he's uh, a lot of the business is done over the phone and that doesn't really exist anymore, which is mm-hmm. fascinating, you know, to hear these people um you like Levine um Jack Lemon's character he's always having a conversation with a secretary that doesn't exist to show that he's important yeah <laughs> you know they make up this whole thing hey I'm vice president of of this property I'm in town only a short while I'm at the airport you know giving this sense of urgency like hey you have to to act now you are lucky you are the you're the lucky one I'm calling you you know, there's this whole planet of people, but you're the one that won the opportunity to speak with me. Yeah. I you drew know, your all, name and you won. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all, you know, common sales tactics, but um, it's so fascinating. Cause it's like, 
for me, the connection is always in person. You know, I, I can shake hands with you, have a conversation, get to know you and build a meaningful and lasting relationship. Whether you buy from me today or tomorrow, I'm always going to remember who you are and what you're all about. When you're doing these things over the phone, it's a different animal because you don't know who you're talking to. They can't see um, if you're a genuine person. They're just hearing these words and they can choose not to listen to you. But when you're face to face, you can have more of a, a connection and build that rapport. It's fascinating. Totally. Like, uh, you know, pe- people who have their wits about them and try to get a used car, or, you know, to buy a car, usually you can catch someone in a lie. If someone's like, hey, yeah, this thing gets 100 miles to the gallon and it's like uh, a <laughs> Hummer. <clean> car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, You're going to want that true coat. So Exactly. Oh, man, I swear to God. So that's the thing. Like a car salesman, I mean, th- in this movie, they're selling real estate. I have never sold real estate, but um, I, what I can say is that um, I'm sure it's extremely challenging just like selling cars can be extremely challenging. But, you know, I had this, there was a stereotype of what a car salesman was. And I had to find a way to overcome it. And me, Dave, and Randy from Geek Legacy, all three of us sold cars together. And we were literally changing the way people do it. I, I remember our our mission statement uh, for the company that we work for. It's called Autoland. And, and it was, I still remember it to this day. Our mission is to support our credit union partners by assisting their members through the entire process of purchasing a vehicle. That's it. And, and just the whole idea of assisting their members through the entire process of purchasing a vehicle. That told me that I need to be there for them to answer their questions and to help make this as easy and painless as, pros- as possible. Most people, when they're buying a car, they either it's their first car and they're so excited. Oh my God, I can't wait to buy a car or their last one broke or it died. And now they need a new one out of necessity and it's awful. You know, they, they just want to get through it as quickly and as painlessly as possible. And they know right away that buying a car is one of the biggest headaches short of buying a house. Right. And so it was really unique to be in that position to, to get people to go through that. And the three of us, we were right out of college. We're, we're early twenties and, and, you know, we're tech savvy and we were able to get someone in a brand new car inside of 30 minutes and drive off the lot and versus the three, four hour, six hour ordeal that it normally is. Like we literally broke it down to a science to where we were selling 10 cars a day and just the three of us. And it was Damn. incredible. And we, it, it is like, talk about Wolf of Wall Street. Like we, we had, we lived a Wolf of Wall Street life with a little less hookers and a little less cocaine. It was more of a PG-13 version, like the TV edited version of Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> um, made a lot of money. We were, we were very, very successful. And, and it was incredible. And so when you talk, when you watch this movie and you talk about uh, Levine and how he's going through tough times and it's just a bad streak and he's going to get the next one. And these are things that salesmen tell themselves like, you know, it's just a streak. I'm going to get the next one. I'm going to get the next one. And and it's and it's crazy because it's almost like it's almost like a gambling addiction, right? Where you just you can't just keep losing. You're gonna win, right? Eventually, but if you're out of money, you're obviously not good at what you do. <laughs> so yeah. you just gotta look. You gotta you gotta have you gotta look past this this ego. You know, they, the salesman can have this thing, this hubris where they just think that they're the best, and if they're not selling, it's because the leads are weak or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the product sucks or, you know, that guy was a piece of shit and he didn't want to, he wasn't listening to what I was saying. It's their loss. When what's interestingly enough is, is uh, I had this incredible salesman. Sorry to deter this, but I, there's this, this guy, his name was Brian Whaley. He was this incredible salesman and he broke it down to uh, like a percentage to where if you're helping 10 people, two of those 10 people are just going to tell you to fuck off no matter what. There's nothing you could say to them that would make them say yes. Then there's the other two people that will say yes to no matter what you say. You can keep, you can pile on that true coat and they'll be, they'll, they like you. So they're going to buy it no matter what. <laughs> like, holy shit, Justin, you think I should get the true coat? Okay, I'll get the true coat. That's a good idea. It sounds like a solid plan. And then, then you have the other six, the other 60% where their no's that can be turned into yeses. So that's a numbers game. So if you get those first two no's that are just the fuck off, get out of my sight kind of no's, then you know that you can you can literally win the next eight people. Interesting. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's true. I I I, I, to this day, I I still believe that science. It's crazy. 
So, you know, what's interesting about that, because um, you said a little bit before that, that uh, the the salesmen were blaming it on the weak leads. But I feel this is just one way how I read it was that um, Shelly, you know, the machine Levine, he was he was set up for failure because he was given these weak leads. And then when he sold the, you know, eight lots at 82,000, Williamson was like, it's not going to work because they just like to talk to salesmen. So he was right. He was given weak leads and Williamson knew that. So to me, I just feel like he can't win. So, um, I mean, I, I think Levine was, was probably a good salesman. You know, he had this generational thing where he taught Roma, Ro- Roma pretty much probably taught Aaron now and maybe Moss, but, uh, but I don't know. What do you think of that? Sure. I, I think you're 100% correct. And that, in that particular case, they are crazy people that just don't have any money. They just like to talk to sales, <laughs> as it were. And it, I've I've seen those, you know, where you someone comes in and they want to just you know chat or look at you know this computer or or this car or in this case this real estate and and they just have nothing better to do, and that's sad. It's very sad. But at the same time, look at what it did to his confidence. He came into that room like he owned the place. You know, and and that's what it takes. It takes that confidence. Like I can sell to anybody, and he got that. It was just unfortunate that it was literally ripped right out of his chest. Mm-hmm. But if you're you, if you're walking like you're talking, then you can sell to anybody. It's crazy. It's it's a, it's a head game, dude. It's it's nuts. Aside from those two people that tell you to fuck off, those those other six, you know, he gets two leads a day, right? So if he got his two no's, he could literally sell to the other eight people. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, do you think that all salesmen are essentially actors? Uh, I think in a, in, to an extent, you know, like a heightened sense of themselves, you know, like uh, like in the mask, right? If you're a bad guy and you put on the mask, you become an even worse bad guy. <laughs> if you're a nice <laughs> guy like Jim Carrey and he puts on the mask and he just kind of gets elevated to that other level. I think that when you're selling to somebody, you, you got, you're trying to sell you in a lot of ways. So... For me, it works to be more genuine, have the icebreakers, have the conversations, get to know the person, and then getting to know them first, and then whatever they want comes second. Yeah. So and- I, I, for me, a more genuine approach has always been more helpful because if I know what sports their kids are playing or what their job is or how long they lived in this community, then it's all talking points. And then eventually, you know, I keep asking them questions. They're having a really good time. They're having a good conversation. And it's like, oh, what, you know, what brings you in today? <laughs> and then it's like they're you're literally just helping them. There's there's a difference between being a a consultative seller versus an order taker. If you're an order taker, you're you're going to make some money, but you're not going to you're not going to really fuel your potential. You're going to you're going to meet the minimum every single time. It reminded me what you were just saying right there where you're like, you like to connect with people, talk about their kids. It reminds me of the office when Michael starts his own paper company and Dwight rushes to that big, uh, that their big fish. I can't remember who it was. And he, he has his Rolodex. He's got, and he's like, sits down. He's like, how's your gay son? Right. <laughs> Michael just walks out. Yeah, he's like, I, co- I, yeah, I, I, co- <laughs> I color coded those green means go ahead and move on to something else or whatever. Yeah, Go ahead and <laughs> shut up about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's and true. It, and, and a Rolodex is exactly what that's for. You know, really? now now there's there's tools like Salesforce, right? Where you can it's literally a digital Rolodex where you can put in all that information and and know what you need to know about that person. And and that's one of the talk about, you know, having the tools that you need to be successful. A Rolodex is a perfect example of how to keep track of somebody and where they're at in their life, their life goals what they're what they're hoping to get what they've already obtained and it's all stuff that people love to talk about themselves and and the and the victories that they've had and and the wins you know and so if you can bring that stuff up then there's like this chemical reaction that happens in their brain we're like holy shit this guy knows me this person appreciates me i'm gonna buy from this guy it's crazy there i I mean i've been selling my entire life and the last time i bought a phone uh was last march and i walked into the verizon store and this kid Sold me everything. I got a fucking watch. I got a phone. Um, <laughs> I, I, I spent like whatever fourteen hundred dollars in this store because I liked the kid. He was he was a great salesman. I could have said no, but I I liked the way he was doing business, and I wanted to give him my business. Yeah, this is gonna sound bad, uh, but this is past Zach. But when I was doing you know like the online dating and stuff, I would meet 
a lot of different girls. And in order to keep track of them, I would write their name, uh, their first name, like Sarah or something like that. And then their last name would be where they live. So it'd be like Lake City or Green Lake or something. And then in my notes section under contacts, I would write likes cake, (laughs) went to Purdue (laughs) or something like that, has a dog named Sparky. So that way, when I'm talking to him, I'm not like, oh, yeah, how's your how's your gay son or something like that. You right, know? right. So and uh, but in that same sense, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was my Rolodex, though. But uh, I'm a change man. I'm not that same way. So kind of kind of. I just think, but. yeah, I mean, if you want to be successful, that's I think that's what it takes. I, you know, listening, being a good listener. It's like um, I was uh, it was too late when I realized this, but um, people don't always want an answer. They just want you to listen. Totally. And it goes a long way. Yeah, I tell so, my friends, I'm, I'm like, hey, I'm here if you need a vent, man. If you want me to say something, I always ask at the end. I'm like, do you, would you like advice or would you just, do you just want to vent? And I'm totally all ears for that. Yeah. That's, that's um, definitely the way to go. And I think sales is just like that. You know, you don't have to be so solution driven. I mean, I, I like results, but if someone's upset, then then just listen. Don't Don't come up with a solution. Any asshole even, has an answer, <laughs> but yeah. not everybody can listen. Even at even at Target, you know, when when I would do the loss prevention thing, I'd just be in plain clothes, but I'd be behind the register in electronics because I liked hanging out there. But you get someone in asking about Apple Watches or iPads or something, and I became like the Apple guy at a certain point, and I could sell people watches like no other. And I, I don't get commission from it, but it was always really fun just doing that because you, the when people are like, oh, whoa, I didn't know that. Or, oh, really? That's really cool. I give them my honest opinion. I'm like, look, I like mine, but I, I just use mine for a fitness tracker and to check messages. Um, so you don't need the, the super fancy, crazy expensive one, you know, because I don't work on commission. So I was pretty genuine with them and it felt good. It just felt good to sell things, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you're helping. But yeah. So um, you and uh, well, this movie is uh, is an all male cast, like you were saying, and there's maybe one or two females in the entire cast. Uh, there Ooh, have been one. some some productions, uh, stage productions that have flipped that script and done either like an all black cast an all female cast, something like that. But uh, for this movie, why? And I guess the original play from 84. Why do you think that it's an all male cast? Um, well, I think a lot of the the conversations that they're having um, it, it it's presented to me in a way that, you know, they even say um, a man is his job. They refer to women as broads. Um, I don't want to tell you how to talk to your wife. You know, they say stuff like that. It is, it is a male dominated breadwinner uh, view in this movie. And um, the men make the decisions. And I spoke to your wife but, um, you know, I need, you know, I want to talk to you about it kind of stuff. They have those conversations with people. And so I think it's, for me, it just kind of has this dickish quality to it. You know, like, I, I am not sympathetic to any of these people, which I find fascinating. Even Levine, his daughter's in the hospital. And just knowing what I know about Levine and the kind of person he is, I I, I don't have an ounce of sympathy for him. Even at the end when he gets caught. I'm just like, that's what you get, man. Honesty is the best policy and you're a piece of shit. And I think uh, Alec Baldwin's character symbolizes it when he says, you know, the reason you guys aren't closing is because of this. And he pulls out two brass balls. I mean, right. oh, yeah, <laughs> he definitely he's he's basically, um, you know, like demasculating these people. Like he's saying this is what it takes. And it, and it cuts to, uh, you know, he's, he's like, you know, what it takes to sell real estate. It takes brass balls and it cuts to Levine. And he's like embarrassed. He like shies away from it. He doesn't want to look, you know, like the, they are very much, you know, non alpha folk. (laughs) And, and even though Moss, um, peacocks a lot, you know, he's always screaming, what do we know about bullies? They're really cowards, right? Mm -hmm. He just likes to make a scene. Uh, Alan Arkin's character. He's, he is one of the weakest, uh, and meek human beings ever. Um, and it's 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 like if you think you can't if you can't take this abuse, how are you going to take the abuse on a sit? You know, those are those are things that Alec Baldwin is articulating to him. He even drops the F word on them, um, you know, very, very homophobic remark. Um, and he is calling them that like because they are weak to him. That is a de- that is the definition of being weak. And uh, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, what, do you think it could possibly be that this movie is about the 
competitive nature of masculinity. Cause like we were just kind of talking about that and they're all essentially competing for that top prize. They want that Cadillac Eldorado. That's, that's kind of the MacGuffin. They don't want the steak knives and they don't want to lose their job. But I think that they're all very, very competitive men and they're all about self-preservation do, doing what's best for number one. But, you know, I think that every character is trying to prove their worth by either showing their physical assets. Uh, like when Blake says, you know, this is a $80,000 watch or whatever he says, uh, yeah, or this watch yeah. costs more than your car. <laughs> yeah. I made $970,000 last year. How did you, how much did you make? And he just doesn't say anything. Right. So, no. But, uh, I, and I think, I think a big reason why, and this is just my opinion. I think a big reason why this is an all male cast is just that men are more vulnerable to making quick decisions. And this is exemplified with Jim, the character Jonathan Bryce plays. He's out with smooth talking Al Pacino. And he explains that goods and possessions will have this value. And he shows him, you know, just as a skeezy salesman would do after a few drinks, get some liquor up, shows him the, the, the pamphlet for the land. And then he buys it. And I think that Jim wanted to do it because he felt good. He had ego. Uh, Al Pacino was stroking that ego a bit. But then Jim's wife, who has clarity, who is the clearly the brains of, of the operation, she's like, right. you idiot, go get the money back. Um, even when he asked for the money back, Jim is really weak about it. He's like, oh, I mean, but you, you have three days. And Roma's like, yeah, three days, three days. He's confusing the shit out of him. But he's like, oh, okay, uh, you know, and they, he wants to talk about it. But... I think that these men are just so competitive to get that sale and they, and, and I don't think they're playing dumb. I just think that a lot of the times we do, we do stupid shit and, and women will set us straight. So I don't know many times like Alex has set you straight, but, uh, for my, in my past relationships, Ooh boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I mean, cause I'm, I'm all, I'm all over the place and she is like my rock. She, she can, she can bring me down to planet earth in two seconds. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. So I think that's why this this sales room, all these people are are just competing with each other. And when any of these men get caught as vulnerable, they get chastised by the others around them. Moss is pissed about Levine's sale, pretty much. And instead of celebrating it like Roma does, he is like, fuck you, blah, 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 blah. And he's being a bully and he's just really angry about it. So what does he do? He runs off and he pouts back to Wisconsin or whatever he says. Um, all these men are just, they're, they're fragile and they're erratic. They're driven by greed and this desire to win at all costs. Um, yeah. And I think that's ego and greed are the reason why Levine gets caught in the end. Ultimately, I think that he wanted to tell Williamson off so much that he slipped and he messed up and Williamson was a lot smarter than he thought. So yeah, that's yeah. how I, that's how I perceive it. Yeah, Williamson's an interesting character, too, because, you know, he's like, I'm here to do my job. I get the rules from downtown, from Mitch and Murray, you know, and I'm here to marshal the troops. And mm. he is not supporting his sales staff. He thinks he is. Um, but really, what does he do? He's an, he's an errand boy. He he runs checks. He deposits checks and he, and he and paperwork. That is it. He does nothing to help them. He hands out these leads that are garbage. Um, and that's it. That's his job. Mm-hmm. And, they and, all... and they're resentful of that because he doesn't work on commission right he just has his job it's not up to him to go out there and sell them as far as he's concerned I'm giving you all the tools you need to be successful you're the yeah. piece of shit that's not selling that's not my problem to the point where he was willing to take bribes to uh, get them what they needed for the case of Shelley for, for Jack Lemon's character he's like yeah give me 20% of your commission and 50 bucks a lead because he's not, he's not, he's probably not making any money either. And that's, that's another thing too, right? So Moss, he gets so fed up because he thinks he's a really good salesman and that why am I giving 10% of my sales? Oh, I get to keep 10% and I'm giving 90% away. You know, there's a certain ego that happens where, where salesmen, this happens a lot too, where the top salesman of a company will go their own way. They will say, you know what? Fuck the man. I'm not going to give them any more money. I'm missing out. Why am I keeping 10 and giving away 90 when I could keep 90 and give away 10 to somebody else? You know, they'll they'll make they'll they'll get their contacts and then they'll work at the company for like a year and then just quit. And then they'll start their own business. 
It's crazy. And it got so bad that they have like no compete clauses now because they know that that shit's going to happen to where they can actually take you to court if you do something like that. Right. Crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, think of Williamson. It, it actually, and you brought up a good point. It, it reminded me of, you know, I'll use Target as an example, but uh, some of the the higher ups, the districts and the regionals and stuff. I mean, yeah, some of them may have had experience, but maybe not necessarily in your exact uh, job field or department. And in my opinion, there were quite a few leaders that I worked with who I do not think were qualified for their role. They were there to sign our checks basically and give us quote unquote, the tools we need to do our job. Um, but when push came to shove, I could totally have that, that moment of, uh, Roma going off on Williamson where it's like, look, you don't even, you haven't been in the trenches. You, you haven't been on the streets. You don't know how to do this because maybe you did it a long, long time ago, or maybe you've heard about it, but you're not assisting me. So unless you have something to say, you know, don't take your shot or whatever. Uh, right. So it's it's interesting because I can see that in, in lots of different aspects of work. But. Um, so one really big thing that I noticed in this movie is there's a theme of weakness. So Alec Baldwin's character draws it out of everybody. He calls it out from the get go about them. Uh, every character has a weakness that's holding them back through the through the throughout the movie. But uh, when it's exposed, it can really cripple them. So he says, you know, Roma's weakness, Roma's probably the strongest one, but his weakness is his persistent attack on Marx. He, he's, he's a predator. He, he, you know, he sees something and he's like Saul kind of, he reminds me of Saul a little bit. Saul Goodman. And, uh, he has a lack of Saul empathy. Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. But he, but I think Roma has a lack of empathy. He doesn't necessarily care that, uh, J- Jim's wife is like, we can't do this. He's like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. I'm going to take this guy to the airport. We'll, we'll talk later, you know? And, um, I think that how you were talking about, you like to connect with, with the, um, with people. I don't think Roma necessarily like to do that. So that is his weakness. Um, Levine's weakness is his desperation to capture sales. He wants to relive his old glory days. You know, he's not doing it anymore and he's willing to do anything to, to get that back. He'll he'll even yeah. bribe, you know, he'll bribe uh, Williamson and all that. I, th- I think desperation is the right word. He's he's 100 percent desperate. He's absolutely he's got desperate. he's got a child in the in who's an adult, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. he has uh, he has to care for a sick loved one and he is struggling and he doesn't want to get fired. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, people start to do crazy shit when uh, when they're desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needs to eat. You know, we all need a place to sleep. And when you, when that stuff is threatened, you you convince yourself that certain things are OK. And it's totally. crazy. Yeah. Um, Aaron, now his, his weakness is that he doubts himself, like you were saying earlier. He's, oh, yeah. Uh, he's just really feeble. Terrible. He's he's self prophesizing his failure. He's just knowing that oh, I'm not going to be able to do this. How am I going to do this? Like and that drives me crazy when people automatically are just like, I can't do this. And I'm like. Jesus tap dance in Christ. Why, why don't you give it a shot first or maybe talk to, to the machine Levine or something. He can help. you. Right. Yeah. Um, Attitude is everything. I I believe that 100%. Totally. And then Moss's weakness is that he's, he's a bully. He's envious of other people's success and it, it, it really just, it really harms him. Um, oh yeah. And then finally Williamson's weakness is his youth and his inexperience. Uh, what I think that that all plays into it. And I think that we're, those are, are glaring issues that are exposed throughout the film. When you're watching it, you see it on all services and that's what really causes uh, the plot. It drives the plot. I should say, um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But although in sales, one must involve some small bit of weakness because I mean, I know that you're perfect in every way. I had a baby brother. He was perfect in every way. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what well, nice me. Uh, so I know that you're perfect in every way, but what was one of maybe your weaker parts of your sales game or what was your weakness? Were you too empathetic? Were you too comedy? haha, funny guy. But, uh, what do you, what do you think? That's actually a really good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I would say, uh, speed. Uh, could be a major factor. Um, once once you start to get anxious, or at least for me, I start to speed things up a bit. And it's important to just step back for a second and realize that you're controlling the situation. Once once someone gets in your head and you feel like you have to rush through everything, then you're going to lose them. 
Um, it's like when you're reeling in a fish too fast, you could break the line kind of thing. Um, and so I think that as I got older, I was able to be a little bit more cognizant of that and, and realize that, you know what, I'm just going to slow things down for a second, take a step back, excuse myself from the conversation. Oh, I got to go check, check on somebody really fast, go into another room, take a couple deep breaths, convince myself that I got this and then go back out there. And, and I think that came with just experience. Um, you know, like talking about, you know, salesmen are born, not made. I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I do think that some people, you know, can have a natural ability, but there's always room for improvement where you can be, you know, molded, fine tuned, even educated. You know, um, there's, there's, there's that whole thing with like Mr. Miyagi, right? No such thing as bad student, only bad teacher. And if you have, the right people around you, the right salesmen, the right techniques that you're seeing, you can learn a lot. So I think surrounding yourself by successful people can definitely help you in your in your sales game. And I think for me, my biggest weakness could be, probably is just speed. And once I realized that and taking a step back and slowing things down, that changed everything. Yeah, totally. Um, mine would probably be self-doubt sometimes. Uh, just if I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I got this. Um, but I mean, that's something I could learn. I can get over, I can get used to it. And, uh, that, that salesmen are born. They're not made thing. That was a sign in the office. So that's why I included yeah. it on the, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, I, I know it was, it's right above, um, Williamson's door. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a lot of uh, that office a thousand <laughs> times. <laughs> I know. Um, again, what, I've seen this movie uh, at least 30 times, at least. Yeah. They actually, a lot of, uh, a lot of salesmen, um, and big companies, they use this as an example of what not to do and what to do in situations, because these are the old ways. This is the old guard and the old guard is dead. Uh, that doesn't happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen all the time, but, uh, you, you know, there's for the majority, I don't really see salesmen doing this anymore. The the way right. that these, these dudes are doing it. Right. So, I mean, if, if, you know, there's a, there's a part you mentioned in the office earlier when, um, Robert California says, you know, we sell cheap printers, and if we had, if we adopted the carnival model of taking their money and get out of town, then sure, that would work. But if we open up a store, people are going to see how terrible our shit is, and they're going to keep coming back and be mad, and eventually, well, it'll be bad for business. Um, so for me, I always had the mentality of, you know, I sell this person a car, I want to sell their kids a car, their neighbor a car, and their entire family a car. You know, so it was in my best interest to treat them with the utmost respect and be honest with them and have that connection. So I'm not selling them one car and that's it. I'm selling their entire family a car over the course of whatever, 15, 20 years. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to look at it. You know? Yeah. It's like that one thing where you don't want that one big score. You want the five sales over the next 15 years. Like you were just saying. So that, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so out of all of them, I mean, I probably know the answer. But out of all of them, what salesman do you think you you were? Oh, I don't I don't think I was any of these. Well, I know I knew you're going to say that, but I, but if if let's just say that you weren't probably as... Roma, a, a better Roma? Roma, yeah, okay, a better Roma, a nicer Roma, yeah. You want that kind of like Alvarado? I because I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done I wouldn't have treated Mister Link the way that he did when yes. he came back for his money. I would have explained the situation. And say, you know what? I had a great time last night. Um, you know, let's let's be friends so we can go get another drink. Here's your check, and be done with it. Or in this case, the check already went. Um, I would say, you know what? Let me get Mitch and Murray on the phone. We will end this right now, and I, and I'll get you the next time, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I okay. would always do what's right. Yeah, um, I didn't really feel bad for anyone in this film. And I think no, that's, I worst. think that's maybe how you're supposed to feel. Uh, there's a little glints of, of points where maybe you could be sympathetic, but no, I mean, you, like you were saying, even, even Levine, he wasn't great with his, his shystiness and his, uh, his $2 smile or whatever it is. People yeah, say, he's, I don't he's know, a liar. I don't he is 100% yeah. a liar. Absolutely. And, uh, so the, I mean, it just bugged me and like, I've, I've dealt with door to door salesmen and stuff and, I try to be polite, but when you get the salesman, I remember when I was 16, I was buying a phone at the Verizon store and I walked in and this guy kind of like looked over at me. 
He didn't say anything. He kind of walked over and just looked at me, didn't say anything. But then another guy came and helped me, got my phone, all that. As I'm getting ready to ring it up, he walks over. He goes, didn't, didn't I help you? And I'm like, nope, you didn't. And he goes, yeah, but I'm, but when he came in, I greeted you. I'm like, no, you didn't. And even if you did, you didn't help me. He was like arguing with his coworker about the sale. And to me, I'm like, holy shit, dude, they're doing this right in front of me. Like that guy who, who didn't say a single word to me, he can go F himself right in the A, but it was, uh, it was really cutthroat. Yeah, that's terrible. And, and to be fair, the, one of the hardest jobs in the entire world is being a door to door salesman. And those people have incredible courage and gusto. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I envy them very, very much. That that takes a, a, a amount of courage that I don't know that I possess. And um, I, I try so hard not to say anything bad about another salesman because it is, it is hard. Um, I just have my way of doing things and what works for me. Um, but I, I totally get it. It's a, it is a, a tough racket, as they say. And um, what's, what's interesting about that whole experience of someone like, well, I talked to you first. I greeted you. You know, that's, that's just the shark talking, man. That's, that's crazy. That's like when you pull up to a car salesman or pull up to a car lot and they're all standing around like vultures waiting to get you. You know, they, all those guys want to eat. And that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. I had a, when I was uh, 18, I was trying to buy a car on my own. My parents didn't have good credit, so they couldn't really help me. And of course, you know, I'm 18. I don't really have any credit. Uh, long story short, I went to this place for like two hours and this guy was, he was pitching super hard. He was trying to be really friendly. He wanted to sell me a car that was worse than my current car, a lot worse than my current car, but he was trying to pitch it as, Hey, it's a way to build credit. So you can have it for two years and then you can get a different car. So I get what he's saying. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm not going to pay for this when I don't have a payment on my car. So I told him no. And he paid, he again, he basically told me to fuck off and and not waste his time. And he he went on and started saying, I can't believe you, you did this. You wasted hours of my day. And I was like, I, I just couldn't say anything. I was 18. I'm like, what? So to me, I'm like, I will never go there again. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone to go to that place. But yeah, that's great. And that was just a shitty experience. So I think it's all it's it's all in how people handle themselves. And like you were saying, the 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 empathy and the care that people give and putting themselves in in those shoes. But yeah, man. Um, got anything else to add to it? I don't think so. I um, I talked a lot. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> My own personal experiences. Um, and I apologize for that. But um, yeah, being, being a salesman, it's it's, it's tough. And, and, and I got to say, like, you know, when, when, when Levine comes in to the office in the morning where he just feels like he's on top of the world, that is an incredible feeling. And you get that when you nail a sale or you sold that car or this person was resisting you every step of the way. And, and it took, it took three no's to turn that into a yes. And you just feel incredible. And then you get that adrenaline pumping and you're like, hell yeah, dude, I could do this all day long. Um, there's something to be said about that. That's, it's not, it's, it's an incredible feeling and victory knowing that you were able to do that. And not because you sold them garbage. It was because you were able to, to sell yourself and the item, whatever it was, car, house, computer, phone, doesn't matter. Um, they didn't want it and you talked them into it. And that's just a really, really, really good feeling. I was thinking of the office when he's like, I'm giving you the 10 biggest clients. And he's like, why? I'm a terrible salesman. He's like, you, you sold us on you, a product that no one wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's so <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I just love that. I don't know. It's just something about that. I, 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 I miss it, but I never want to do it again. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. I, I am so glad I'm well, not a salesman. I sell, I sell a brand. I don't sell an actual, you know individual item well it's just the, in the, the extreme sold sold me again on this movie you, uh, yeah. <laughs> you you did it <laughs> the extreme you sold me on this movie so All right time for some yeah. heroin jesus what do you uh what letter grade do you give it oh this movie's an a across the board love it yeah so i went into it obviously not knowing much about it i mean i knew enough like I, my classic line but i'm glad that i watched it and yes i give it an a um i some of the best di dialogue i think i've ever seen in a movie i did not think i would be that captivated it reminded me of uh, the miniseries chernobyl during the courtroom scene where 
he explains about a nuclear reactor. I don't know what a nuclear reactor is. I don't know how it operates, but oh my God, was I gripped to the edge of my seat. And same with this movie. I think it was such an interesting and mundane plot, but it was so intense at the same time. So yes, I give this an A. I think it is fantastic. And uh, yeah, you sold me on it. Hustling Justin. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jay what they used Mani. to call you. <laughs> Jay Manis. So uh, sweet, man. Um, cool. Anything else to add before we go? Nope. That is it. The die has been cast. Do you uh, do you want to take us home? Sure. I'm Thank never going to take us home. <laughs> oh, I was going into it. I, heard, <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't going to okay. delay. I'll shut fucked up. it up. Sorry. It's either fuck or walk, pal. Hit the bricks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at ZachDale60, and at EdgyArmo. If you have a second, please write a review on our uh, podcast. That'd be amazing. You can give us some stars. Maybe write down what you like, what you don't like, whatever. I, I will leave it in your very capable hands. If you like our podcast, check out the other podcasts that we have on our Geek Legacy Network. We have, of course, the Geek Legacy Podcast, which is a lot of fun with David, Randy, and myself, as well as the Pixelated Podcast with Stephen K. James, a man that knows everything about video games, as long as I'm there to fact check them. <laughs> Easy peasy. Um, I think that's about it. You have a wonderful week. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, thank you so much. Yeah.